Welcome to Renewal Church. My name is Jared Kirk. I'm the pastor here. I am very glad that you're here joining us online and in person today. And before we dig into the message, I have a couple of special announcements for you, and they're pretty cool, so I think you're going to like this. Number one is, Judith alluded to this earlier, we have a Christmas Eve experience that's online only that we're setting up just for you, and it's going to be 20 minutes long. We're going we're gonna to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. We're going to get straight to the heart of Jesus. We're going to share a great song with you. We're going to have a Christmas reading. The whole thing's going to take 20 minutes, and it's for you to watch with your family. We'll get there. Can you get the, um, could you try to get the thing out of my voice, please? Thanks. So um, uh, while she's working on that, I'm going to continue. So we're going to do the Christmas Eve experience. And the reason that we created this is because so many of us are going to go home to our families on Christmas Eve, and we're going to be able to, you know, actually have a meaningful conversation about Jesus and the real meaning of Christmas. So I hope that you'll join us for that. You can download the link from our weekly email. You can get it from our social media accounts. You can watch that anytime that it's convenient for you and your families on Christmas Eve. So that is number one. Here's the other thing that I needed to let you know about is our church has concluded. We've been in a basically a six-month-long process to find a new um, full-time worship pastor for the church. And Dusty has been leading for us, and he's done an incredible job. Dusty actually approached me. He has. And we're going to do more of that next week. I hope that you'll watch online or come in person because we're going to celebrate Dusty right next week. He's going to be here, and we're going to thank him for his service to the church. Dusty approached me and said, like, hey, I have a passion for worship. I have a passion for the Lord, but also I'm in school full-time to be a pharmacist, and those, like, two competing things are attention. So could we find someone to do this, and I could support that person. I said, you got it, bro. Uh, Love you. I'm for you. And so starting on December 20th, we have a new worship pastor, Cameron Baldwin, is going to be coming here to lead worship for us. Some of you saw him lead worship several weeks ago at Renewal. That's him. That's the guy. You'll meet him December 20th, so make sure you turn, turn... Tune in online or watch in person. You'll get to see him lead for the first time. He's also going to lead some music for that Christmas Eve experience. All right. Let's talk about Christmas Isn't Canceled. Christmas in the Kirk House is loud. It is really loud. We didn't used to be loud people. I wasn't a loud person. Heather wasn't. I was a little loud. Heather wasn't a loud person. And then we had kids. And there it is. Now it's unbelievably loud. Um, it's when, when, when Christmas happens, we come downstairs, I do breakfast, so I go in, I get the, the eggs and the bacon and the pancakes, and I do all that, and, and Heather gets coffee and, and does whatever, I, I have no idea what she does, and the kids come downstairs, and after breakfast, we just absolutely, like, I think for um, tradition's sake, we read Luke 2, the Christmas story, and then we destroy presents. We are not slow present openers. We are rip into them and destroy them, except for Amelia. She's a little bit slow at everything. She walks slow. She eats slow. And she'll tell you it's because she is enjoying it. And we love that about her. We love that about her. But the rest of us are just tearing things apart, and it's loud. It's loud, and it's chaotic. But there's also a way in which it's peaceful. Because when our relationships are right with one another, there's peace even if things are loud and out of control. And I think that might be a little bit what the first Christmas was like. The first Christmas, you know, when you look at a nativity set, it's all peaceful, and they're all just standing around silently, looking at the little sleeping baby. But it wasn't like that at all. I mean, it was like they showed up to the hotel, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we're fresh out of birthing suites. If you want to try the barn, 
you're welcome to. And so then they go out there. Mary gives birth. That's not a quiet thing. They're surrounded by animals. That's not a quiet thing. And then you have a baby. And I don't know if you've been around babies, but they do a lot of eating, pooping, and crying. That's not a quiet thing. It was probably loud and chaotic. There was a lot going on. And yet, there was something profoundly peaceful about it because this baby at the first Christmas, Jesus, had come to reconcile the relationships between people and God and between people and one another. Jesus came to bring peace. The first Christmas was all about peace. And in Advent, we also wait for the second return of Jesus, which is all about bringing peace to this world. Listen to the announcement that the angels made at that first Christmas. The angels showed up to the shepherds, and here's what they said, Luke 2, 13 through 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We desperately need peace with God that leads to a peace with other people. And according to the Bible, that this is something that we, we just don't seem to possess in and of ourselves, literally Every part of human history, as far back as we have recorded, there has never been a time of perfect peace. That we need God to enter into our world and bring peace into the middle of the chaos. And I think that's still true today. It's true on a political level. It's also true on a personal level. We saw in our world, 2020 was a world of conflict. And it was a a year of conflict, and it was a year of tension. So we um, we saw... We saw racism revealed, which dramatically increased racial tension in our country. We saw um, the political conflict and tension in our country, right? We saw actual rioting in the streets. I mean, it was a year in which our circumstances grew more chaotic and more out of control. And what happened is the lack of peace in our circumstances led to a lack of peace in our spirit. And Christmas is still a time when God wants to bring peace into your life and remind us that there's a day coming when he's bringing peace, not just in here, but out there too. Advent is a season of waiting, waiting on God to bring his final peace. So that's why we're looking in Isaiah chapter 9 today to learn about the kind of peace that this world needs, the kind of peace that we need. And we're in a series called Christmas Isn't Canceled because Your Christmas plans might be canceled this year, and that might be a good thing, but there's some things about Christmas that you just can't cancel, things like joy and peace and hope that are just true and are there and available for you no matter what is happening in the world around you. And we always say at Renewal Church that our our church exists to see Jesus made famous, uh, people made whole, and Boston made new. And that That can't happen unless our church experiences the peace of God and then also brings the peace of God into the world around us, into every sphere of influence in which we go. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll point a few things out. Starting in verse 2, here's what it says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. 
For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, a few things this text shows us about peace. And here's the first one. We see the source of peace. This text was written by Isaiah, um, which is probably supposed to be pronounced Isaiah, and Heather always just like rolls her eyes when I say that because it's kind of pretentious to change the way that everybody pronounces Isaiah. He lived about 700 years before Jesus, and he lived during the reign of several kings, including Hezekiah. Now, um, I wanted to show you something that they found when they were excavating the first temple period in Jerusalem. Uh, the kings in the ancient world and people that had sort of any sort of status, nobility, they would have a seal. You know, you'd press it down into the wax and it would make an imprint. And you would press it down into clay as well. And that clay imprint of your seal was called a bulla. And this is the bulla of King Hezekiah. So as they were excavating the first temple, they found this. And here's what this bulla reads. Of King Hezekiah of Judah. And so this was archaeological evidence that they found of the existence of King Hezekiah in the first temple period. Now, excavations take a long time. And a few years later, about 10 feet away from this clay bulla, they found another one. And bring it up. They found this. It was 10 feet away from King Hezekiah's. And this one reads, Isaiah, prophet, except the last letter of prophet is missing because of the damage on that side. And so Isaiah and Hezekiah, who were contemporaries in the Bible, they found their clay seals right next to each other when they were excavating the first temple, which is really cool. And in fact, if you, if you kind of nerd out on biblical archaeology, this kind of stuff stops surprising you eventually. Because like every time they find a new archaeological discovery in Jerusalem or in the ancient Near East, it's confirming what the Bible already says. Now, Isaiah lived with Hezekiah during a time of unprecedented conflict. The, um, uh, Isaiah was a part of the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of, of Israel was invaded by Assyria. They were all taken into captivity. The, the northern kingdom was destroyed. Then the southern kingdom was besieged by this larger army. And so they had this external pressure and conflict pressing in on them at all times. But they also had internal conflict within the kingdom. In particular, the rich were oppressing the poor. And so Isaiah lived during a time when they desperately needed peace. And this text speaks to that. But when he, when he writes it, he starts off by talking about light. That's the first thing he says. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And that, you know, when, when you first hear that, it just sounds like, um, maybe, like maybe something hopeful. But it represents something much more interesting than that. Light here represents that the solutions to this world's problems are not found within this world, but outside of it. That the hope and peace that this world longs for come to it from outside of this world. That, that people, that we do not seem to have the resources in and of ourselves to create peace or to create perfectly peaceful societies. We need help from outside, which is why we see the hope of peace. Now, I thought about this through a political lens because we just kind of, we just endured an election. And... Um, you know, conservatives tend to think that peace will come as everyone engages in moral self-improvement, 
And as you build up, you know, your individual character and everybody engages in this process and becomes better and better and more, more moral people, you'll have a more peaceful and prosperous society. Progressives tend to think that the way to peace in a society is through a change in environment. That when you change the conditions in which people live, it will produce different kinds of people. And I think the tragedy about this is that both of those have just the tiniest nugget of truth, but overall both of those are wrong. The kind of change people need comes from outside of them, not from inside of them. You see, conservatives are wrong that people have in and of themselves the resource to perfect their moral nature. We just don't. We need someone outside of us to change our heart. But also, progressives are wrong that people have an endlessly immutable nature that can be uh, reshaped and therefore perfected. So what this text shows us is that the great hope for peace in this world is coming from outside of us, not inside of us, and it's coming from God. Matthew Henry, the the commentator from several hundred years ago, he's become very influential in modern times because his commentaries are available for free on BibleGateway.com. Um, And so here's what he says. If God be at peace with us, all other peace results from it. Peace of conscience, peace with angels, peace between Jew and Gentile. Right? That when God enters into our world and we find peace with God, it radiates peace outward into all of the other relationships that we have. Internal, through conscience, supernatural, peace with angels, and peace between Jew and Gentile speaks towards ethnic reconciliation. And so the promise of the text is God is going to do this. It says, uh, the text says, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, speaking of the work God does. This is important because there are enemies of peace. You cannot defeat yourself. You cannot defeat Satan on your own. You cannot defeat uh, death on your own. You cannot defeat sickness on your own. But God can and God will. So the source of peace is God. Here's the second thing the text shows us, the prince of peace. Verse 5 says, um, kind of language that we wouldn't use probably as much as modern people, but it says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel, fuel for the fire. And all that simply means is that there's a day of peace that's coming. Right? So there's no more weapons of war. Isaiah also has a famous verse in another place where it says they will beat their swords into plowshares, that, that there is a day when the, the marks of war are absent from our society. And verse 6 tells us why, and it's very surprising. It says, for to us, a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so in this incredible verse, we see that God is going to come to earth himself as a baby, that he will be a king, that he will have, because we see all these divine titles, and he's going to rule this world himself, he's going to defeat every enemy, and he's going to draw people to himself. Now, Isaiah said this about 700 years before Jesus was born, which would be like someone from the 1300s. I mean, that was... Think about that. That's before America. That's before Columbus. That's before the Reformation. Saying, and the first black president of America will come from Chicago. You know, it's like 700 years. And he says, God himself is going to do this. Now, I I think, I've tried to think very deeply about this week, about why God chose to do it this way. And I'm not... 100% sure, you know, like who can say like, well, this is why God's plan worked out this way. But we know this, 
that the plans of humans haven't worked. And that if you think that a earthly king, that a human king is ultimately going to bring peace, you're deceived. Um, human kings create peace through superior firepower. That's how they do it. And so something had to radically shift, apparently. God himself had to come as a king so that the one who would actually wield power would himself be just and righteous and would not be corrupted by that power which so easily corrupts human beings. And so he comes as a baby, as Jesus. He, he, he rules and reigns, but he's not like any other king who's ever lived. He's the king who lays down his life for his subjects. He's the king who loves enough to die for others. He's the king who can both dismantle the unjust system and create a new system. That's what a kingdom is. And he's the king who also can turn the hearts of people back towards their creator. And so he does both that internal work that we need and that external work that we need to create a society of perfect justice and perfect peace. And that is something that only God can do. And that's something that he does through his grace, not just through his power, but through, but through loving us enough to die for us, to draw our hearts to himself. And so the text shows us that the Prince of Peace, that this baby, this human baby that's also divine, is the way to peace. And that no other way is ever, going to, is ever going to accomplish what we long for. The third thing we see in this text is the cost of peace. Now, the cost of peace, according to this text, this particular text, is that you submit yourself to the lordship or the kingship of Jesus. It says, um, according to Isaiah, it says, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. So he's reigning... And our role is to follow the lordship, to come under the kingship of this king. That's the cost of it. And it is precisely this act of turning away from our self-rule and turning and putting ourselves under the rule of God that leads to peace. And this is something uh, Pastor Tim Keller explains better than I do, which is actually most things. We should probably just listen to his sermons most Sundays. But instead, I'm sharing a quote with you where he explains this concept. Here's what he says. The most fundamental and important peace is peace with God. The natural human heart wants to be king, so it is hostile to God's claims of lordship over us. Until we see our instinctive hostility to God's authority, we can't understand one of the great deep mainsprings of all human behavior. We are committed to the idea that the only way we will be happy is if we are wholly in charge of our lives. Of course, this self-centered desire to command and control leads to conflict with other human beings. So hostilities with God lead to hostilities with others. There is no peace on earth because there is no peace with God. The cost of peace to us is that we bow our knee before the lordship of Jesus. That's the cost we pay. However, there was another cost to pay for peace. And it was costlier, and it was the price Jesus himself paid. On the cross, Jesus died in your place for your sins. He absorbed the wrath of God so that the conflict, the enmity, the Bible calls it, between you and God could be destroyed. And where there was conflict, now there can be peace. When, Bible, when the Bible speaks of peace with God, it's talking about, it's not talking about um, like the warm, fuzzy, subjective feeling of peace. It's talking about how two, um, two kings engaged in war 
reconcile and, and sign a truce or a treaty. It's that kind of peace. So we've moved from be, being enemies with God to being friends of God because Jesus paid the cost for our sins on the cross. Sometimes we say that salvation is a free gift, and it is. Like this Christmas, when I give Heather a gift, I'm not going to charge her for it. But it's not because the, no one paid for the gift. It's because I paid for the gift. In fact, a gift that costs me nothing is almost meaningless because there's no sacrifice in it. Pastor Gene Getz talks about this reality. He says, salvation is a free gift from God, but it costs Jesus his life to give it to us. And it may cost us everything to accept and embrace it. So the cost of peace to Jesus was his life on the cross. The cost of peace to us is the surrender of our will to him, the lordship of Jesus in our lives. That's the price of peace. You know, when you leave here today, what do you do with this? You say, great, I have to go home and be peaceful. <laughs> Don't come to the Kirk house. It's going to be tough there. It's loud. I already warned you. I think the way forward for this is there is an aspect of this in which the truth that God gives us is a grounding foundation in our lives. We talked about that last week with hope. We don't hope because we're optimistic as Christians. We hope because there are some things about God that are true. And in the same way, we can choose to live with peace as followers of Jesus, not because we say like, well, I'm sure it'll just work out in the end. But because of who God is and everything he's done for us in Jesus, it can destroy anxiety so we don't have to worry because we are objectively at peace with God. And so it makes sense to feel subjective peace with God. But I think there's another way in which, which not only is it about what we feel, but it's about what we do with our hands. You see, Jesus said famously, blessed are the peacemakers, Peace is not just something you experience, it's also something you bring into the world. And so I wonder, for us, what would it look like to be peacemakers in our lives this Advent season as we're heading towards Christmas? And one way to get at that is just to ask the question, where am I lacking peace in my life? Where am I lacking peace? Because that may be the exact place God is calling you to bring peace and to work towards reconciliation, to work towards peace. And so, where is there a lack of peace in my life? Maybe there's a lack of peace in, in your relationship with God. This is the first place to start. You know, the, the first thing before you wander off into the world trying to bring peace and fix all the problems out there is to get right with God here and turn from your self-rule and bow your knee before Jesus and say, I, I need a king to rule my life and I need a savior to forgive my sins. I need a savior king who loves me and who died for me. And then you can find peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus is your king, he's also your savior. And at the end of the message today, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to put your faith in Jesus, to turn and to follow him and to have peace with God. And you will always struggle to have peace in your other relationships until that peace is settled because of the self-rule in your life. All right, let's keep asking that question. Where is there a lack of peace in my life? Here's the second one, in my spirit, in my spirit. 2020 has caused unbelievable amounts of inner turmoil for people. Anxiety, depression, discontentment. Discontentment has been a huge one 
For some people, it's been dis- depression or even despair. There's a, there's a, there is a, a dramatic interior turmoil in many of our lives. And the Bible does speak about something, a piece of something you experience personally. Um, one way that the Bible gives us to bring some of God's peace into our lives is to fill our thoughts with God. I mean, you know, the way your thoughts go is the way your life goes. You know, your thoughts affect your emotions, affect your actions, affect everything there is. And so listen to this scripture from the Bible. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so there's something about fixing your thoughts on God that brings peace into your life. Now, this is not a, hey, you, you never need to see a counselor or a therapist, right? This is not, hey, mental health isn't a real thing. But this is just true. This is one of those things that's true for you no matter where you are. Maybe you deal with a little bit of anxiety. Maybe it's crushing and it's binding you to where you can't leave your home right now. Like, wherever you are on that spectrum, it is still, this verse is still true that if you fix your thoughts on God, God will increase the peace in your life. Because you're fixing your thoughts on something that can't change. And I, I've thought a lot about this this year because so many of my family and friends and neighbors that don't know the Lord, they don't have any perspective outside of the world. And so all they have is what we all they have is, you know, 2020, you remember that? That that's that's it. That's the whole thing. And whatever CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or Breitbart or pick your crazies, like like whatever it is, like that's their whole world. And so, like, no wonder they feel so chaotic and just such unbelievable turmoil because number one, okay, all right, um, I'll I'll calm down, (laughs) right? But what's the flip side of that? You have a bigger perspective. You fix your mind on someone who loves you, who's in perfect control, who wants to bring peace into your life and peace into this world. And so when you fill your mind with thoughts about God, you experience peace. And when you fill your mind with chaotic garbage, guess what? And so you fix your thoughts on God. I, I don't know what that looks like for you this week. Maybe it means picking something. Oh, I don't have my phone on me. Picking something to turn off. Picking an app to delete. You ever been there? Maybe it means doubling down on prayer in your life in some way, setting a reminder on your phone at lunchtime each day, saying, I'm going I'm to turn off my computer for 10 minutes. I'm going I'm to read the scripture and fill my mind with God. All right, in my spirit. Where am I lacking peace? What about this one? In my family. The Christmas season brings more family into your life, even if your plans have changed. Even if you're not going to see your family, chances are you get a call from family wondering whether or not you're going to come see family, right? Like there's just going to be more family in your life, and sometimes there's a serious lack of peace. And the Bible has this one verse that I always think about in my family when it comes to peace. It's not about family, but it is about peace. Here's what it says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That should be my life verse. If, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It may not be possible. right? You can't not mandate peace in all your relationships. In fact, that will lead to a false peace that will lead to destroyed relationships. right? So if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. So let me ask you, in your family relationships, are there any relationships where you haven't done, you know, as far as it depends on you. There's something else you could do. You could have a conversation. You could sit down. You could pick up the phone. You could work for peace. You could try to work something out. Maybe you could forgive something. Maybe you could overlook something and discover some peace in your family 
relationships. Maybe there's some bitterness that you need to bury. You know, peace in your family here is not a guarantee as far as it depends on you. But make sure you've done every last thing possible. So maybe God's calling you to do that. Maybe there's a name of someone in your family that he brought to mind. You need to share that with someone you came with today or email a friend. Here's the last one. Where am I lacking peace in my life so that I can be a peacemaker? In my church. Advent is an excellent time to evaluate your relationships with people in your church, your small group, your friends at church, and ask, am I living at peace with everyone in my church? The church was intended to live in unity, to forgive one another, to practice unity across racial lines and ethnic lines, to do the hard work of building a community. Colossians 3.11 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a serious grievance against one another. Forgive as the Lord gave you. Now, now think about that verse for a second. First of all, it says bear with each other, which means there's going to be some people in your church that need bearing with. And that means that sometimes you're going to be the person and I'm going to be the person in the church that needs bearing with because we are hard to live with. And then it says forgive one another, which you know what that means is we're going to hurt each other. Not on purpose, hopefully, but it happens when you live in relationship with other people. It says, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So where in your church relationships are you lacking peace? And I'm not saying you have to do all of these, but where is God speaking you today? Is it in your relationship with God? Is it in your spirit or your family or in the church where you say, I need to be a peacemaker? Now, as we close our service today, you know, Christmas is coming. And when you wake up on Christmas, it may be crazy loud this year. Or it might be abnormally quiet. But when you have a relationship with the God of peace, he brings peace in your spirit. He brings peace in your relationships. And with faith, you can look forward to the day when he's going to bring peace to this world. We have hope during this Advent season. We have hope this Christmas that one day God will bring perfect peace to our world through the return of Jesus. And in the meantime, let's wait and work for peace.